Welcome to A New Lens with Common Good Capital, where we talk with investors, RIAs, fund managers, and philanthropists about their experiences within different impact investing themes, as well as explore the power of stewardship and capital. I'm your host, Jeff Schaefer, CEO of Common Good Capital, and I'm here with Justin Miller, co-founder of Care for AIDS. Uh, Care for AIDS exists to mobilize the church in caring both physically and spiritually for families affected by HIV, AIDS in East Africa. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here today. Well, Justin, I was very much moved by your story. I read it online. You and I have not met before, although we just chatted for a few minutes. When I read your story, though, as you all reached out to me, I'm like, okay, I knew I needed to have you on here. I knew that our listeners needed to hear not only of what you've learned, but then just uh, from your experiences, but what you've learned for the people that you've served in Africa as well. Give us a little background of of yourself. Yeah, well, thanks again, Jeff. We're, I'm excited. As you said, being working in Africa the last 13 years has been my classroom to understand these issues on a whole different level than I had previously before that. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to Vanderbilt University for my undergrad I met my wife, Lindsay, there. Today we have three kids under six. So our world is pretty crazy. (laughs) I ended up going back to Guizueta Business School at Emory uh, to get my MBA. And since I was a junior at Vanderbilt, I have been leading this organization called Care for AIDS. I founded it in my dorm room in college in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've been working Uh, ever since that time to try to help empower people living with HIV and AIDS to live a life beyond AIDS. And that's been my work full-time now since I graduated in 2009. I've been doing this full-time for about 12 years. All right. So I got to stop you there for a second. I, I, in fact, my daughter's in college. My son will be in college here shortly. Stop for a second there and explain to me when you started this, why'd you start it? Were you thinking you're crazy? What the heck is a college student starting something like this? Yeah, it, w- it was totally crazy. I, as you said, you know, as it's been said before, the young don't know enough to be prudent, so they attempt the impossible. That's kind of the idea. We and that's the that's the truth. We were so naive, we had no idea what we were getting into. But when I was 18 years old, I heard Bono, lead singer of U2, give a presentation about the AIDS pandemic and challenge faith leaders to do something about it, to say, we can't turn our back on the greatest humanitarian crisis of our generation and let all these people die. And I was in a room of 8,000 leaders and, and, you know, I thought I'm supposed to do something about this. It wasn't because HIV and AIDS really had impacted my life directly. I had never even really experienced it in any way, but I grew up with a younger brother who has special needs. And I look back on my childhood, which was amazing, but I see the challenges that we face as a family around some of his health issues and even the perception of of him and the stigma around special needs. And I saw that that was the experience that God eventually used to prepare me to do the work of caring for people living with HIV and AIDS. And so I jumped in as a college student, had no idea what I was doing. And we saw success. And so we have been pursuing it ever since. All right. Well, I, I want to dig into care for uh, AIDS, but but I'm assuming you're going to answer some of that in these 
upcoming questions. So if we don't, if you don't, then I'll come to come back and I want to make sure we understand that a little bit better. But how would you best describe yourself in the context of where you are at in your life journey? I would say that today I, I, have, I have three main roles. I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a leader. Where I am today is I'm trying to serve the people that have been put around me the best I can. Trying to serve my wife, Lindsay, serve my kids, and serve the Care for AIDS team to the best of my ability. And at this point in my life, that's really who I am. <laughs> How are you trying to change the world? I am trying to, with the help of a lot of other people, trying to create a world beyond AIDS. As I said, our mission statement as an organization is to empower people to live a life beyond AIDS. We imagine a world, whether it's through a cure, through a vaccine, or through continuing to fight the spread of HIV uh, as we do among the clients that we serve. We imagine a world where we don't have to deal with this disease that is just so destructive to individuals, to families, and to communities. Through Care for AIDS, we have, over the past 13 years, we have designed a model that we have now deployed in 71 different communities around East Africa. And the model is designed to care for those that are the most vulnerable living with HIV And we try to help empower them holistically, not just addressing their medical needs or their physical needs, but what does it take for the whole person to really thrive? And that for us, that means looking at their physical health, emotional health, social health, economic health, and spiritual health. So our program is designed to look at those five areas, take individuals who feel like because they have HIV, it's really the end of their life. And it may not be the end of their physical life, but it may be, for all intents and purposes, the end of their social life, the end of feeling connected to God. And maybe they've even been pushed away from their spiritual family. Uh, Maybe they've been forced out of their job because they're HIV status. So in many ways, HIV really affects all aspects of your life, not just your physical health. And so we bring those people in to our program. We happen to work through the local churches in those communities because it's an amazing way to deliver care to people at scale. And we bring them into a program of nine months where we try to take them from this place of despair and isolation and loneliness and restore them into a place of health and connection and purpose so that they can live a long life, even with HIV, they can live a normal life and they can raise and educate their kids so that we prevent this next generation of kids from becoming orphans because of HIV. And so we've been able to do that now across Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda, and we are seeing the ripple effects have amazing impact. As I mentioned to you in the intro, uh, or I guess before we started, my brother's in Rwanda, so we're gonna have to connect you with him. Absolutely. Gotta figure out how to get in Rwanda. (laughs) So let, let me just stop there for a second. And, and I'm sure you've heard this story a thousand times, but I remember I was either in 11th or 12th grade in high school. I can remember uh, it was after basketball practice and I heard that Magic Johnson had AIDS. And that was, that's just it's one of those key events in my life or, or memories, I guess I should say. And then I you know, fast forward to today, what I see of Magic Johnson, the guy still seems like a superstar. If I just go to my little bubble and forgive me for my ignorance, that's my experience of AIDS and HIV. Tell me, is that normal 
that view. And obviously, that's not what you see in Africa. And I'm assuming it's probably not even what's true in America, but that's what's in my brain. Yeah, well, your view is is absolutely normal. It's what we hear every single day. Most people have, haven't really thought about the implications of the AIDS pandemic since the early 2000s. And we saw a huge effort, both from governments and NGOs, to respond to it in the, the early to mid-2000s. But the reality of it is, is that today, HIV is still, unfortunately, alive and well. And we are still seeing new infections. In 2019, they estimate about 1.7 million new infections globally and upwards of 750,000 people that lost their lives due, due to an AIDS-related illness in 2019. And so the magnitude of this pandemic, I know we say pandemic now, we think about COVID, but when you think of the AIDS pandemic, is that it's still a major issue. We've been fighting it for 40 years. So people's commitment to it and will to fight it is beginning to wane. And that's also making it really challenging because we still have a long way to go. We still have upwards of 40 million people living with it who need treatment and care. But we are also, I think we're getting closer and closer to vaccines and cures that could put an end to this, but it is um, it's still very much an issue that we have to pay attention to because it is causing a lot of pain and suffering around the world. And is it just as prevalent here in the U.S. as what we're talking about in Africa? It's not as prevalent, no, but uh, it's still just as, as destructive. But in East Africa, the places where we're working, you know, we are seeing in some of our communities infection rates that are you know, 10 to 20 percent of the adult population in certain communities. And it's, it's a much smaller prevalence rate here in the U.S., but it's still a very big issue here, too. Yeah, my mind is is spinning. So I'm, I'm grateful you're on this because it's like we as a society will focus on one issue. It becomes the most prevalent issue. And if you're not as passionate about that one issue, somehow you're out of the norm and you're like, wait a second, here's an issue that's been around for 40 years. I could make the same argument for AIDS. Why aren't we just as fired up as AIDS as we are as COVID or whatever? Obviously, what you're doing requires capital. And so I would love to see from your perspective or hear from your perspective, when did you realize the power of capital and, and what does that mean to you? I think this probably first hit home to me when I started traveling regularly to East Africa and engaging with our clients and began to realize that one of the, the distinguishing characteristics of poverty, yes, it's the lack of, of material resources or other types of resources, but it's also the the inability to make meaningful choices to affect your life. People in poverty experience this sense of helplessness that they can't, they can't do anything to change their situation. And a lot of that is due to the fact they don't have access to financial capital. And it's at that time that I started, well, one, I started to get asked by people that I was becoming friends with in, in East Africa, could I invest in what they were doing? And in certain cases, I was happy to, there was a relationship, there was trust. But I also just began to realize that if I wanted to start something, and I did like Care for AIDS, whether it was a nonprofit or a for-profit, there were a lot of places I could go to get capital. I could go to friends and family. I could tap into my own savings. I could go to a bank. I could take out a credit card. I could, I mean, there's so many options. I wouldn't recommend the right. last one, but I can find people to, to help me get the capital I need to do what I need to do. And in East Africa, there's just 
they don't have access to that. And, and there've been a lot of things that have kept them from being able to do that. And so when it comes to starting a business or buying inventory for your business or investing in your own education, uh, there's no way to do that. And therefore people feel trapped. And I just felt it was an amazing amount of privilege that I had to have access to capital in so many different forms. But I will say too, I'll add this caveat that we're mainly talking here about financial capital, but when I got to East Africa, the thing that the Africans taught me more than anything is that there, there are a lot of different forms of capital. And, and there are many things that I would use my financial capital for today, if I could to acquire some of the types of capital that they have in Africa. So I, I think of capital a lot in these, the buckets of financial capital, physical capital, like time and energy, intellectual capital, relational capital, and spiritual capital. And when you're in Africa and you see how the depth of their spiritual capital, the depth of their relational capital, even their physical capital. I mean, they always say, right, when you're there, the old adage is that Americans have the watches, but we have the time. <laughs> and they have so much of that physical capital. So, you know, for me, part of this journey has been to realize that, in my life, I've been blessed with more financial capital than most people in the world. And if I can invest that well, I would love to see a financial return, but I would love more than anything to see a relational or spiritual return on that capital. And, um, and that's more important to me than just purely trying to maximize financial capital. And are you seeing those returns? I am in my own life because I, you know, I spend... Uh, I spend my time and I spend my money investing in people that we work with in East Africa. And when I spend time with them, uh, I feel so much richer in my relationships because of, because of my time with them. My experience in Rwanda a couple of weeks ago, absolutely in a very short little window. So I don't claim to be an expert. I, I saw that. And one thing that really stuck out, and I'm sure I, you know, you've seen this a thousand times or any times you've been there, there was a situation where we were driving up this road from one village to the next. The road was horrible. And I'm just like bobbing around, bouncing in the back seat. Meanwhile, there's motorcycles, you know, heading up, heading down. There's women with, you know, big old sticks. Sticks isn't the right word, bundles of branches or whatever on their head. You got guys carrying however many pounds of potatoes in sacks that they can't even ride the bike. They're pushing it. And, but the, the white American in me says, let me just write a check for $25,000 and let's buy him a truck. And I realized, no, if I bought him a truck, at least at this point, from what I could tell, you just would take away whatever the math, how many jobs. And so it's like, even that you're like, Oh, you got to be very careful how you use that capital. Now, clearly they need capital, but it seems like there's this progression and this growth that has to happen very thoughtfully. And so I walked away from there saying, oh, my goodness, whether it's a nonprofit or for-profit investment opportunity, if you better invest with somebody who is on the ground. You better invest in somebody who knows the culture because inadvertently we come in and screw it up just because we have the capital. Yeah, it's true. And our our clients, you know, because of their where they are economically, the only really form of access to capital that we try to help them with in our program is forming savings groups because savings groups are so powerful for people at the lowest rung of this economic ladder because it mm -hmm. allows them to 
save capital together, take loans from their groups at low interest, but also do it in a community format together where there's one accountability, but there's also just the social support of this group together. And so there are other ways people are trying to help promote more financial inclusion in Africa, but for our clients with HIV, the savings group model is the one that we are really promoting right now. Switching gears, although it is absolutely connected, I think, what does stewardship mean to you? I love this question because stewardship is is one of my personal values. And I mentioned it earlier and I won't go back into it at great length, but I think the, the origin of this for me comes from growing up as I did, as I mentioned with my brother, David, who has special needs. There was just from the youngest age, there was this sense that I had been entrusted with things that David had not been. And in my life, I wanted to maximize what I believed God had given me uh, in my skills, my opportunities, the time and the resources and the relationships that I've been given. For me, stewardship is all about how do we steward those things in such a way to, to create the maximum impact. And I believe that, and I know that this is your belief too, Jeff, that when our life is oriented around one, not seeing ourselves as the owners of everything, but just the managers yep. of what we've been given. Yep. And two, that we're oriented around how do we use that to create the most impact in the lives of people around us, that that is really where we experience that true joy, that true freedom. And unfortunately, when mm-hmm. people see themselves as this is mine, uh, I'm using it just for me, then ultimately the result is not the financial freedom that they think it will be, it is actually a prison in some ways. So uh, that's stewardship is everything for me. All right. So now we're going to, we're going to open this up and, and, and dream a little bit. And I always, as I always tell people, if you have to pick one or two, I'm okay. It doesn't have to be the number one dream. Cause I hate answering that question. Like what's your favorite color? It's like, I don't know. I like a couple of them, but if you could make a dream come true in your life, what do you think that'd be? I think one of those dreams is that care for AIDS wouldn't need to exist anymore. You know, if we could play a small part in bringing an end to this, as, as we mentioned already, a 40 year battle against the disease that has caused so much destruction in Africa and other parts of the world. If we could get to a point where care for AIDS was no longer needed because we had, we were living in a world that was truly beyond AIDS that we had overcome this, that would be an amazing dream realized. And really what I've been trying to do for the last 13 years. All right. So that dream comes true. <laughs> one more okay, dream. One more dream. Um, and let's, let's assume that your family's all great and all that's healthy. Any other kind of fun, passionate things that are, would just be for you? Ah, this would just be really cool. Well, you know, for, if it's something for me and, uh, this dream would is, is is pretty audacious, but you know what? I I am such a fan. My wife is too of traveling and experiencing new places and new cultures. If I could literally spend time and visit every single country on this planet, 
<laughs> I would do it in a heartbeat because I love it so much. So maybe the dream is maybe it's not the whole world. Maybe it's not all 196 countries, but man, in my lifetime, I'd love to even just be able to go visit all of the countries in Africa and experience that because that place is just so special to me, but I've really only gotten to travel to about five or six countries there. So would love to love to do that in my lifetime. All over the world, there are some amazing places. And, and even we forget here in the U.S., it's like, it go out and see a national park. There are some unbelievable places here in the U.S. And, and we forget that, I mean, I've been in many flights where it's like with families, like, what are you coming? Oh, coming for here. Oh, well, we're going to go see the national parks. Meanwhile, we're, we're heading out the other place. And I haven't even been to all right. the national parks. So it's comical. All right. The last thing I'd love to end it on is, is can you give us a story or help help me understand uh, what's somebody with HIV in Africa, what's their life like? And how do you guys, how can you help them? Yeah, I can definitely give you a story. And as you know, there are some themes that we've seen in a lot of stories over the years, but every story is so different. And uh, mm-hmm. I'll just give you a story. It's really top of mind for me. I, was, I just heard it the other week and it's about a young man named Kevin. And Kevin was engaged to be married to the love of his life. And a lot of couples before they get married, they will go and get tested together to see if they are HIV positive. So they can have just full disclosure with each part partner before they get married. Mm-hmm. They went to get tested. And in that, that test, they found out they were both HIV positive, mm-hmm. which if you think about it, I mean, as most people would say today, well, well you know, that's, it's okay. You can, you can treat it and you can manage it and you can live with it. But the reality of it is, the stigma around it is still so high that people feel to a great degree, just this overwhelming sense of despair. So sadly, when I say this works, I think it does illustrate kind of what happens still a lot in Africa today. This young woman that Kevin was about to marry, she took her own life. She was engaged to the Mm -hmm. man of her dreams, but she couldn't overcome that HIV diagnosis. So she took her life and Kevin a young man full of promise kind of locked himself in his room in his house and refused to come out because he was just, he was so broken over this situation. So our staff member, this is where care phrase comes in, just heard this story in the community that there was this guy, Kevin, who was in bad shape and needed help. And Mm. our staff member Dorcas went to his house every day, day one, she knocked on the door. He wanted nothing to do with her or the program. And so she just went back every single day. She knocked on his door, said, hey, Kevin, it's today the day. It's today the day that you're going to come to the program. So she went every day. And finally, he relented after her persistence and said, okay, fine, fine. I'll come and join the program. So when he joins our program, that means he's going to, we're going to walk with him for nine months and we'll address his health conditions wherever he is. Maybe HIV has really progressed in his body or maybe it's not, but we'll deal with any health implications. Then we'll start to deal with all of the trauma that people with HIV have experienced through the rejection, through the stigma. So we do a lot of counseling, both one-on-one and group therapy. We provide them with food and nutrition so that they can keep their immune system strong. But then we're going to start teaching them skills so that they can be productive. They can create a livelihood for themselves and for their family. And so Kevin always had the dream of becoming a chef. And so we helped him to get a scholarship to go back to school to study culinary arts. And he is now training to become a chef. 
And because part of the program is helping our clients reconnect with community, there's 80 clients in every cohort. And so they meet some of their, their best friends in the program. And in Kevin's case, he actually met another young woman in the program who's HIV positive mm. and they're married now and, and they're starting a family. And so when they finish the program, they graduate. Our hope and our prayer is that people like Kevin who are shut in their house with no hope for the future are now connected in community, they're healthy, and they're pursuing mm. whatever dream they have. And in his case, that's how to become a chef. Everybody's story doesn't follow that same art, but we see that more than not is, is kind of the, the path that a lot of our clients take. And forgive my ignorance on this. If that couple has children, what's that mean for the kids? It means it's, it's very possible for them to have kids with, that are not HIV positive. Really? Yes, absolutely. So we are won't get into all the science behind it, but it's actually, it's not in utero that the mom is infecting the baby. It's actually in either mostly in delivery or in nursing. And so there are mm. practices uh, we do to try to, to help moms go through that process uh, under the supervision of our staff to make sure that they don't transmit it from mother to child. And there's a lot there, but it is about 95% of our, the babies that are born in our program are remain HIV negative and they don't receive HIV from their moms. Well, Justin, uh, you know, in the middle of a work day to have this conversation, <laughs> it's, it's a blessing and it's a bit overwhelming. So look, I just commend you in what you're doing. I, I, uh, I mean, I know you're obviously getting a, a ton of joy and, and freedom out of it, but I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving on other people and being willing to serve them and appreciate your insight. Who knows? Maybe we'll have you back and you can give us an update on uh, when AIDS or HIV is somehow snuffed out or, or whatever happens. I would love that. Well, thanks for, for your uh, using this platform to share with folks how to, how to think differently about capital, because I think it's an important conversation we need to have. Yeah, well, I'm glad to do it. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to A New Lens with Common Good Capital on your podcast app of choice. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. This will help new listeners find the show and hopefully put them on a path to a more fulfilling portfolio within the impact investing space. Talk to you next time. I'm Jeff Schaefer. This podcast is a production of Common Good Capital and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation of an offer. Such offer would only be made through a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors in private placement securities should be aware that making an investment is speculative and involves a high degree of risk, including the risk of losing all or a portion of an investment. Investments of this nature are illiquid and subject to substantial restrictions upon transferability.